0: It's good to be singing in the victory. It's good to be here to celebrate the grace and goodness of our God. Who's with me on that? Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo, yeah. All right. If you're new, good morning. My name is Mark. Open your Bibles with me. If you have them, to a place that we call Ephesians. We're studying the book of Ephesians all year long uh, here in our church, and uh, we're starting here in the first chapter. Most sermon series start in the first chapter, just so you know. And uh, uh, we're uh, excited to be just viewing, uh, reading together, Uh, The causes for celebration that uh, Paul outlines for the Ephesians church. Um, Usually I give announcements here. There's a bunch of them in your bulletins. You want to read them? Go ahead. That'd be great. And uh, I'm going to pray and just get going. Is that cool to everybody? Doesn't matter. Here it comes. Lord, thanks so much for your grace. Thanks so much that we get to sing in the victory of the cross, that we get to um, uh, count on the promises. There truly is no one like you, God. Um, and and we just want to uh, join with you today as we study your word. We want to hear from you as you speak to us. We want uh, for you to uh, push me aside and for your Spirit to speak in my place, so that we are um, drawn into the celebration that is life with you. So that we are aware of that, and then we go living in light of that. Uh, help us to celebrate. Our, our, the fact that we're chosen today if we have faith in Jesus Christ, and I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We talked about how uh, this uh, whole series, this woohoo series, is on a celebration passage or a portion of the book of Ephesians that starts out the book. Uh, Paul introduces himself, explains who he's uh, writing to in the first couple verses, uh, but then he moves right away into this uh, conference of blessing. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because uh, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We'll read that again in just a second. Uh, but today we're going to start walking through those blessings as he outlines them for us in uh, what is actually a 12-verse run-on sentence. No punctuation. All the uh, English teachers in the crowd are just going to have you know problems. Although the English translations put some periods and commas and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Paul gets going. Every, anybody ever do that when you're texting? You just get going and you're, you know, just you know, punctuation. Who cares? Um, but... Uh, Paul gets going about the blessings of God, and he just he just doesn't bother to, to pause. And we talked last week about how life is full of celebrations. If you're looking for them, you can find them. In fact, humans were created by God to give Him glory, and so we love to celebrate. We love to find the good, the glory in things. Like parents, we love it when our kids make uh, you know uh, uh, advancements in life. Remember their first steps, their first words. And last week we said the first time that they went potty by themselves, right? Those are glorious days as it causes for celebration of Facebook posts and tweets and all kinds of stuff. Uh, we love it when our team wins. Again, Florida State fans, It's going to be a long year. Uh, but everybody else, uh, you know, uh, if your football team from your college or your uh, area uh, you know has, has been winning, the, the Bucks won a game last week. That's amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well. another game today. Anyway. Uh, but we love to celebrate. We get together in big stadiums and scream our brains out. Why? Because we love victory. We love the good stuff. <coughs> Celebration's a part of who we are. Today we're going to talk about the fact that we're chosen. And that feels good when you're chosen, right? Remember sitting there in gym just, you know, uh, picking sides for kickball? Remember when you were finally picked? No one wanted to be what? No one wanted to be the last one. That was always the worst, right? Uh, but I remember trying out for sports in high school. As a sophomore, I tried out for the varsity basketball team, which was uh, kind of the sport in my town. We didn't have football up in the northern sticks of Maine. And so if you played basketball and you were good, you were, you were kind of, you know, something at the school. And, and sophomores hardly ever made it. Uh, it was the big sport and only 12 spots or 13 spots on the team. And so the seniors and juniors usually took all the places on the varsity team, but I remember trying out for basketball, varsity basketball as a sophomore. I knew I had a shot, an outside shot, but if my name appeared, it was gonna be at the bottom of the list. And the way they used to do it back then, I'm sure it's done electronically somehow today, but uh, they would have tryouts, and then they would actually have one of the assistant coaches come out into the, you know, the, the, the entryway of the gym and post a list. Anybody remember this? Some of you grew up doing this. They would post a list of who made it in, on the team, and that's how you'd find out. And you just have to stand there nervously waiting until finally the, the list appeared and then everybody just kind of jammed. All 30, 40 guys that, that tried out for the team just jammed the board and everybody's just trying to find their name and I remember finding my name. I was the last one on the list, sophomore year, but I made varsity. Yes, thank you very much. And you know, I did, I, uh, someone said it for me, but I turned around and I said something, I don't know if it was the actual words woohoo, but I celebrated, stomped, screamed, you know, uh, like I had just you know, won the lottery. and and the equivalent thereof in high school. And uh, uh, it was a huge cause for celebration. Being chosen uh, is a huge cause for celebration. We're going to talk about that today. But let's start where we ended last week in verse uh, 3. It says this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you were here last week, you know I talked about the fact that uh, the blessings that we receive from God are... uh, how many? Every. They're in total. They're not kind of coming, you know, uh, you know, incrementally. It's not like as we, you know, honor him, he'll give us more of himself. He gives us fully himself and fully the blessings. They're all on board, and and it's ours to to enjoy, realizing uh, his goodness to us as he blesses us with every spiritual blessing. Um, he he is the blesser. Paul's making very clear as he starts his letter to the Ephesians. Hey. God is the blesser. If you have things, if you you are able to accomplish things in life, if you draw your next breath, it's the grace of God. He's the blesser. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And he's blessed us uh, specifically with spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And we try to understand heavenly places, not as specifically being in heaven, which awaits us in our eternal existence now. Uh, We are going to leave this realm, this uh, earthly realm, and we're going to transfer... go on to an eternal heavenly blessing. But we live in the eternal heavenly blessings now. Uh, some are, somebody's like, like the Matrix? Yeah, you know, kind of. Not really, but, but, but we have this invisible world. The Matrix was a movie. We have this invisible world, a uh, spiritual world that surrounds us. And while we live in the, in the material and in the physical, God blesses us in this spiritual realm. Uh, where his adversary seeks to thwart us and to curse us, he uh, blesses us. Well, in what ways does God bless us? Like we said as we opened, in what ways does God bless us or spiritually bless us? He, God chooses us. God chooses us. It says, God bless us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him, you're going to notice this a lot as Paul writes through the Book of Eph- or the Book to uh, the Ephesians. This letter to the Ephesians. He's going to talk a lot about how everything that we have is in Christ, because of Christ, uh, for Christ. It's it's it, this whole Christian thing is pretty wrapped up in Jesus. All right. But even our our being chosen, uh, we were chose in Christ. When? Before the foundation of the world. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, in verse five, it says, he predestined us. It's another form of, uh, or understanding of this idea of us being chosen. We were purposed. He predestined us for adoption to himself, his sons, through uh, Jesus Christ. There it is again, through Jesus. According to the purpose of his will. We were chosen. Uh, When we think about Uh, choosing, we often think about elections. In fact, that's one of the things that this doctrine that Paul's introducing here in his letter to the Ephesians is called, the doctrine of election. When you think elections, what do you think of? November, right? Whether it's uh, county or state or, um, I guess we had one recently, so it's not just November. But whatever is going on politically, when we think elections, we think politics. We think uh, we need to pick somebody to lead us. And how do we pick that person? Now, usually it's based on their ideas or what they say their ideas are until they change them once they get in office, right? Uh, but, but we think, you know, it's based on their ideas. It's on their merits. It's on their track record. It's on their experiences. Uh, we look at them and we say, fitting a, a you know, candidate. I'll, I'll, I'll cast my vote for them. That's not this form of election. I'll tell you why. Because God chose us, you and I, before we even were. Everybody saw that, right? It says in verse 4 that God Chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. So before the world, before you and I, God, uh, according to Paul, looked at us and said, these will be my children. And those who follow him were chosen, not based on their merits, not based on their deeds. The choice preceded creation. And so some people read the Bible and are just like, cool, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, move on. Some of you are hoping I'll do that right now. You're like, fine, I was chosen, great, sounds good to me. But some people are like, well no, this is some of those, uh, one of these areas that needs a little bit further uh, digging into. There's a huge debate that's been going on for hundreds of years in the church as to what those words, he chose us, actually mean. It doesn't mean that God literally chose us and therefore did not choose others. Or does it mean that God knew what we would choose, this idea of what we call foreknowledge, and he allowed us to choose him on our own, which we would call our free will? All right, stay with me. We're going to do five minutes on this. Everybody with me? Uh, essentially, it comes down to two different views. I'm not going to go deep into either of them, but there's an Arminian view, which was started by uh, a guy named Arminius, and, and it basically holds that God foreknew and we choose. God knew what we would choose, because he's omnipotent, or excuse me, omniscient, uh, but, but he allowed us to choose and, and he's just waiting for us to choose even though he knows what we're going to choose. all right. Augustine was a, a church father. It was his idea uh, probably amongst the first ones to think this, but it be, later became known as Calvinism if you've ever you know, dug into that on a further uh, level. But his view was this, that God chose, therefore we choose. So God's choice of us determines our choice for him two options, uh, both true, both with reams of paper uh, filled with words to support those positions. Uh, some of you grew up uh, in a more Arminian environment that emphasized your free will. You might even have believed that you can lose your salvation because you have the choice to choose God and then to not choose God and to walk away from him. Others of us grew up in, in a more Augustinian understanding of things, that God chooses us and what He chooses, we can't unchoose. And so we would see ourselves as eternally secure. Uh, great debate. Guess what? Not going to settle it here. That would be a, a much downloaded sermon right there, if I could figure that out for everybody. <laughs> I mean, even even the scriptures itself, it seems like it's one thing or another, even within the same story. Jesus was in John chapter six talking to a bunch of people who were early followers of his. He had just gotten done feeding 5,000 people. Uh, He had walked on water. Uh, It it was right there in, in the context of his story, and still people were trying to figure out, who is this guy? And so he tells them, Uh, As they come looking to him for this this miracle that had happened with the 5,000, he he took five loaves and two fish, and he made enough food for this huge throng of people, and they were wondering about the bread. Hey, can we get some more bread? I heard the bread was good. Can we get some bread? And Jesus says, you don't need that physical bread. You don't need a loaf of bread. You need the bread. I am the bread of life. And they kind of, as usual, when he went metaphorical and spiritual, were like, huh? And so this is what he says. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me... Shall uh, not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Now, even in his phrasing of things, there seems to be like uh, I'm not sure who's coming, whoever. Like like in John three sixteen, who can quote that one? For God so loved the world that and I grew up. Whosoever, but in the modern translation, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, right? Amen. But yeah, thank you, Bobby. But have everlasting life, right? Yeah, uh, Jesus says, listen, whoever believes. Whoever comes to the choice of receiving Christ, uh, they'll never be hungry. They'll never thirst ever again, spiritually speaking. That's what I I bring. Uh, But Jesus says, but I said to you, uh, I said that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. He's like, come on, fellas. I'm walking on water. I'm feeding thousands of people, and you still don't understand who I am. I'm right here, and you do not see me. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Well now, we, we've moved, this was the Armenian side that says men get to choose and whoever will come and whoever will believe, they'll, they'll never be hungry or thirsty again, now he's moving over here and he's saying, but yeah, my father gives to me uh, whoever, uh, the, whoever he chooses that will come to me and whoever comes to me I'll never cast out. That sounds like eternal security, no one's leaving. Once God prompts them to come to me and they're not, they're not going, right? And he goes on and he says this, for I have come down from heaven, not to do the will of my Father, but to do the will of him who sent me. Sorry, I'm supposed to stay back here while I'm doing this. Sorry, people online. Come to church. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> no, it's, I love him. If you can't, that's fine. I love you guys. <laughs> that's horrible. I shouldn't do that at all. All right, here we go. <sighs> for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Again, he talks about the will of God being the trump card. He who sends those to me, he, he, it's God's choice to send whoever he sends to me. And, and, and he has given those who will follow me to me, and I'll raise them up on the last day. That's the promise of resurrection. For this is the will of my father, verse 40, that everyone who looks on the sun and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise them up on the last day. So my Father will give me all those that I'm going to raise up on the last day, but here's the will of the Father, that whoever what? Believes in him will be the, one, or the ones that I raise up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled, because that's what they did back then, lots of them. <laughs> uh, they grumbled about him because uh, he had said that I'm the bread that came down from heaven, and they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know uh, how does he now say I have come down from heaven? He was in his region of Galilee and he was talking about all these things and people knew him from growing up. I got a, I got a, you know, a, a bookshelf that he and his dad made for me. It's right there in my, you know, my living room. I mean, is, is this guy really gonna tell me that he's the Messiah, all right? And Jesus answered them, hey, fellas, I know you don't think I'm able to hear you, but I'm the son of God, I hear all things. Stop grumbling. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Well, that sounds like God chooses, right? And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be, uh, all be taught by God. They will all be drawn by God. They will all be led by God to follow God. That's in Isaiah 54. Uh, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So, so even in this one conversation that he has with earlier, fa- earlier you know, interested I won't call them followers, they weren't all following, but he's saying, listen, fellas, I'm the bread of life. And if you believe, leaving it to somewhat our choice, uh, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. But my Father gives me all that I'll raise on the last day. My Father prompts and leads and teaches. So if you, I mean, even in Jesus' own teaching, it's like like both sides could take that text and see, see, I'm right. Hmm. Jesus was uh, teaching it another time in Matthew 22. Verse 14, and he talked about this wedding feast, and just to quickly explain, he, had, he would speak in parables, and so he was speaking to the Jews, and he says, uh, this king has, has a wedding feast planned for his son, and, and he invites everybody in the kingdom to come, and nobody comes, he's speaking to the Jews, he's speaking of the Jews, no, none of the Jews were receiving Christ, and so he, Jesus is basically saying, I'm kicking open the door to the Gentiles, I'm gonna let everybody uh, come into the, the chosenness, into the family of God. And everybody's going to be invited to the feast. So they go out in the highways and byways and the parables, uh, or the parable that Jesus is teaching, and they invite in all these you know, lesser lands. And they all come to the feast, and, and, and Jesus pointed and says, y'all, it's all y'all, everybody come. right?" But there's this one guy who comes to the feast, in Jesus' story, and he's not wearing the right clothes for the feast. And he feels like he's you know, been invited to the feast, and he's, 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 he's you know, here to be a part of the feast, but because he is not done what is necessary to be in the feast, he is cast out of the feast. He's pointing to belief and faith. And Jesus ends his his teaching through this parable in Matthew 22. He says this, for many are invited, Jesus' words, what? But few are chosen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes, Right? Many are invited, but few are chosen. Yeah, smart Christians on both sides of this divide uh, have, have debated for hundreds of years, long before we got here. They make salient points uh, that Scripture seems to support on their stances. And like I said, we're not going to figure out today. Uh, and, and, and this is what I always do, just so you know, as your pastor and, and you as a Christian, this is my recommendation to you. When you can't figure it out, just say, Praise the Lord. It somehow works, because here's the deal. We try to take human logic and mash God inside that logic box, and he doesn't fit. He does not fit. In fact, Paul writes probably one of the thickest and, and, and most in-depth studies of God and his theology uh, in the book of Romans. And he gets towards the end of the book of Romans and all the arguments that he made, and he says this in Romans chapter 11 verse 33. He says, "Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments." And how inscrutable his ways. Now, it's interesting to me. He's not saying this as like a, man, I wish I could figure this out. I'm so frustrated that I can't nail everything in my theology. No, he's looking at God and he's like, isn't it so awesome that we serve such, such a huge God that we're never going to be able to pin him down? It's never going to be completely knowable for us in these things. We'll have to, for eternity, until we get there, agree to disagree. Focus on the majors, I guess. That's what we'll just have to do. We don't want a God that we could neatly place into our box. He's not God then. We're God because we put him in a box. He's outside of those things. Just as we finish this, you said five minutes, Mark. I know, it's going longer. Anyway, as we finish this, can we just admit there's, there's probably some holes on both sides? Like, if, if, if you just go with the fact that God knows what we're going to choose, but we get to choose, if it's just foreknowledge that uh, you know, God is, is, is uh, speaking of or Paul is speaking of when he says that he chose us, or does he just mean that he, he knew what we would choose? Um, I, I think he knew what we would choose. But if, if that's it, if that's the extent of his involvement in us coming to himself, doesn't that kind of limit his sovereignty? But doesn't that, God, doesn't that, that make God up there kind of being like, mm, I know he's going to choose, but I wish I could change it. But, you know, he's going to choose what he's going to choose, I guess. Here we go. It doesn't jive with other scriptures like Romans 8, 29, and 30, where after Paul uh, gets done saying to the Romans, hey, uh, uh, for, because God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Who's heard that verse? Who's quoted that verse? It's a, it's a good one, Right? It's often misunderstood, but I don't have time to preach it. Anyway, uh, for those whom he foreknew, this is the next verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It sounds like Ephesians 1, right? Uh, In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He says, and those he predestined, look at what God's involved with. Those that he predestined before the foundations of the earth, Ephesians 1, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And and those whom he justified, he also glorifies. He's going to see them in heaven. It seems like he's pretty involved in the process, right? Certainly, uh, the other side has its problems, though, because if God is, is the, uh, um, the unstoppable force in our lives that leads us to all of our decisions, then, then where do we come in? Are we just robots? Or are we just kind of pawns on his board? People have made this argument well, if, if God's just going to do what God's going to do, why should we even share the gospel? It's just whoever's elect, whoever's chosen, they're going to come. Who cares? Now, why should we pray? Because if God's going to do what God's going to do, then prayer's a non-starter. If we're just the subjects of God's date book, if he's just kind of you know, filling in the, the blanks of history and we're just going wherever God prompts, then what's the point of this? That's valid. It's valid. Some people even say it's not fair you know, for God to choose some and not others. Can I just quickly push against that for a second? Uh, when we talk about God and fair, we've got to be careful not to impose our understanding of fair on a holy God. Does everybody get that? Like what may seem fair between you and I, it, you know, the, we can't put that on a holy God, right? Because the fact that God chooses anybody, I mean, regardless of if he chooses, you know, according to our free will or he chooses because he's chosen us and then we choose, regardless that he would allow anybody into his presence after sin has been our carry, our Carlin car. The, the fact that he graces us with connection to himself through his son is one of the most unfair, and insane things that's ever happened in history. In all of creation, there should be no way that humanity, who God created and who rebelled against him, should be given a second chance, but God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Someone give me a woo-hoo on that. That's a good news right there, right? And so it's like, uh, yeah, Shane, you stand up. Don, you stand up. Mike, can you stand up over there? And then uh, Dave, stand up. Seriously, stand up. Come on. (laughs) Was that hard? Was that confusing? It was like three words. Thank you guys. All right. So these four guys got together and they decided just stay with me on this one, will you? Okay. They decided that they were going to do harm to me and my family, and in in robbing my house or doing whatever harm they planned. uh, uh, they, they, they uh, unfortunately ended the life of one of my sons, all right? So they go to, j- they go to jail, they go to uh, court, they get convicted. It's, it's an open and shut case. It's hands down. I'm in the court, and I stand up at the end of the proceedings. They've been found guilty, and I walk over to Dave and Dawn, and I say, Dave and Dawn, here's what I've chosen. Even though you took my son from me, I want to forgive you your debts. I want to f- forgive you the penalty of your crime And on top of that, I want to give you the keys to my kingdom. I want you to have my home. I want you to have my car. Here's my bank account numbers. I want you to have everything that's mine. You guys can sit down. Thank you for conspiring against my family. Now, (laughs) hopefully if you were in that court of law, you would stop down and be like, what? Who in their right mind would stand up at the trial that convicted those who had harmed him and his family immeasurably and in that same scene conferred upon some this blessing. I I would bet that most of us wouldn't be like, why didn't he bless all five of them? Well, that was unfair. He should have blessed everybody. I mean, if you're gonna bless the one, bless everybody. No, we would be so rocked by that show of grace for those that had harmed my family, that, that we, we would have a different perspective. So can everybody picture what I'm saying there? Be careful with fair. F- fair is different when we apply it to God. Here's my bottom line, though. Uh, all, all I know is what the Bible says, that God chooses. And anyone that God chooses has been the recipient of God's amazing grace, and that is worth our woo-hoo every time. Personally, if you're wondering kind of where I fall, if you haven't picked it up, I trend in the direction where's choice? I trend in the direction, where, I, I trend in the direction of, of God's sovereignty. And I do that for lots of reasons. It's just where I'm more comfortable, it's where I think scripture points. Um, I won't say for absolute certain or, or, or tell you I know for absolute certain how our will and God's will always work together, but I, I, I do lean towards sovereignty. Here's why Be, because I want a God who can do whatever he wants, I want a God who's in charge. I want a God who, when I pray to him, is able to come against whatever circumstances, whatever ideas, whatever plans humanity has, and he's able to stop them, because he's more powerful than us in our choice. I want that, so that when I pray for my kids who have left him, I can have the confidence that no matter how stupid they are, no matter how rebellious they get... They are still powerless against the love and the grace of an all-powerful God, and they will return at his behest regardless of what they want. And here's the deal, and some of you are like, okay, Mark, settle down. No, here's the deal. The guy who wrote this was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians, to imprison Christians. And the God of the universe through his son got a hold of Paul, who was Saul at the time, shines a bright light on him and says, no more! We're not doing this no more. Paul was not on his, you know, teetering back and forth on conversion. I'm really interested in this whole Christian thing. No, he was on his way to kill Christians, and the God of the universe said, no more. And that's what I want in the the God that I serve. That's who I believe the God that I serve is. He is the God who can say at any time according to his will, no more. I don't know who you want to pray to, but I don't want to pray to some God who's like, "Eh, maybe I could do that, but it all depends on what they think. All right, is everybody with me? Some of you aren't, that's fine. Let's move on to the things that I think Paul was really trying to get to with his friends in Ephesus. He's not trying to, in these few sentences, you know, explain everything about election. He's just trying to celebrate. Man, this is some good stuff. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You know what the first one is? What, why, it's like God chose us, and why did God choose us? Three things, and we'll let you go. He chose us so we could be like him. He chose us so we could be like him. God chooses you and I. If you're a Christian in here, don't don't ever miss this. He didn't just choose you because you're cool, because you weren't even around when he chose you, okay? He didn't choose you because he needed to fill some, you know, apartments in heaven. He had some open space, And and, and his hope for you is just for you to get there so that we can enjoy eternity with him. That's part of it, but that's not why he chose you. He chose you for specific purposes. And one of the purposes that he chose us for is so that you and I could enjoy the life that he's given us looking as much like him as possible. He chose us so we could be like him. It says so in verse four. It says this, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so that we should, for the purpose of us being holy and blameless before him. Now, real quick, there's two parts to our holiness and our blamelessness. The first part's positional, and Christ takes care of that. When, When we receive Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, here's what happened. You move from death to life, from darkness to light. You move from being an enemy of God to being dead in your transgressions and sins. We'll see that in the next chapter. To being alive in Christ, right? And positionally, when God looks at you and I, he doesn't see you and our, our sins. He sees Christ and his righteousness. We are clothed in righteousness, the Bible tells us. We are draped in Jesus. And so the wrath that we deserve doesn't hit us. It bounces off the Christ who has surrounded us, and he is uh, able to uh, uh, you know, bring us through our deserved wrath. It's not because of what we've done. It's because of what Christ has done. Isn't that great? Right now, every one of us who is in Christ... We're holy and blameless. When God looks at us, He sees holy and blameless. Who's happy about that? He's like, a, he's like, our, he's like our force field. It, it, that's cheapening it. But he, he's, he, he has indwelt us and He has surrounded us so that when God sees us, He sees holy and blameless. Who's got a cell phone? Okay, yeah, seriously. These aren't hard questions. Okay. <laughs> if you have a cell phone that has one of those like Uber protector uh, shells on it, could you hold it up for everybody else in the crowd? Hold it up for everybody. What's wrong with the rest of you people? Seriously. Who's ever cracked their screen? Anybody ever cracked their screen? That costs money. Who's got a cracked screen right now? Hold it up with pride. Way to go. (laughs) You know how you could have kept that screen from cracking? You could have spent the extra money to get one of these things that you could throw off a tall building and it wouldn't crack, right? All the OtterBox, you you know, Survivor Series, phone cover guys. We all know that, right? I bought one of those. You know why I bought it? I went into the phone store to get an upgrade on my phone, and the guy says, hey, have you got a a, a cover for your phone? I was like, I'll just get one on Amazon. He says, no, you need this one. And he took his phone, I kid you not, in the Sprint store, and he just whipped it across the room. (laughs) Just, I mean, he's obviously been doing this and selling these things for a while, but he just takes it, and he tosses it across the room. And one of the other Sprint guys, one of his underlings, you know, dutifully, you know, fetch, you know, and he grabbed it, (laughs) and he picked it up, and he brought it back to where I was buying the phone, he's like, see? I mean, this is the best phone case you've ever had. I'm like, sold. Give me one of those. (laughs) Because I want to throw my phone around my house. That's what I want to do with it. (laughs) My kids, they want to be cool, so they want their phone to fit neatly in their pocket, and they don't, you know, and and they've paid for three screens, right? (laughs) Jesus is our cell phone cover. Yeah, when Jesus looks at us, or when God looks at us, he, he doesn't see uh, our brokenness and our, he, he sees holy and blameless. So, so that's one thing that happens. But he, he doesn't just want to deal with our eternal position. He doesn't want to just, you know, work on a, a, where we are positionally in him. He, he wants to move into the practical. He wants, to, uh, he, he wants to make us holy and blameless in this earthly mission that he's called us to. You know, once we're chosen... We we have this this life to live for Him and with Him, so that we become more like Him and we are used by Him in the lives of other people. When we're chosen, we should never be arrogant, as if you know, as in "I'm in, I made it, I I got my fire insurance, and I'm, you know, I'm in Christ." We act like we own the place, or if if that's our mentality, we, we act like an owner's son. Anybody ever have a friend whose dad owned a business and the kid would go in there and just take all the Twizzlers out of the jar and you still had to pay for them, right? Ever, been, ever gone to that church where the pastor is treated like the king and his parking space is right down front, right? And, uh, and everybody kind of just worships the ground. He walked on. If you're new, that's not what happens here. <laughs> and by design, right? My name's Mark. Your name's whatever your name is. We're all in this together. You just listen to me because I got the mic, Right? It, shouldn't be a, it is a privilege, but it shouldn't be seen as a privilege. Instead, it should be seen as this, this opportunity to make much of what God has done in us through Christ to honor him as we seek to be holy and blameless, right? Later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes this in chapter 2. He says, after talking about how we've been saved by grace and through faith, he says this in verse 10, For we who are in Christ, we are his workmanship. It means masterpiece. And we've been created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. What? For good works, which God prepared beforehand. There it goes again, way back to the beginning. He ordained, preordained, predestined, prepared beforehand these works that we should walk in them. We are created in Christ to create with Christ the good that God has planned for our lives and for the lives of others. Did everybody get that? We are created in Christ to create with Christ the good that God has planned for our lives and in the lives of others. I'm so grateful that Paul, upon receiving Christ there on the Damascus Road, didn't say, done. Oh, so great. I found Jesus. I mean, I was on my way to kill some Christians, but now I am one. How great is that? And he just kind of slunk off into, you know, the shadows of, of a church somewhere and, and just never did anything about this newfound faith of his. No, he, he didn't see that as, as the call at all. He immediately, upon meeting Ananias, his first disciple, or upon hanging out in Damascus, he, he immediately goes to the temple and starts sharing his newfound faith with those who I expect were expecting him, you know, to be in Damascus to help them persecute the church. He goes from there to plant churches around the Mediterranean over the last 30, 40 years of his life. And I'm not saying that you've got to go to the Mediterranean tonight and start planting churches. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that whatever God has called you to do, these good works that he has prepared for you beforehand, it is on you and I to meet him in them so that he gets the glory that he deserves from us in our service and we get from him all that we desire, all that we require to be more like him as we seek to be holy and blameless. God chose us so that we could be more like him. God chose us so that we could be family. It says in verse five, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, sons and daughters, according to the purpose of his will. In love, why did he do it? Because he loved us, I'll get to that in a second. But he before the foundations of the earth, he predestined those of us who are in Christ, he chose us in Christ so that we could be adopted into the family of God. Through Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Did you know uh, this idea of God being our father is kind of foreign to the Old Testament? In fact, um, Father Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish nation, the chosen ones of God, um, uh, was uh, basically the first Jew, and then uh, from his seed, from his line, came all the Jews that we hear written about over uh, thousands of years of history in the Old Testament, But 39 books, you know how many times God is referred to as father in 39 books of the Old Testament? 14 times. That's less than a half father a book. Uh, In every one of those instances, he's always referred to as the most regal or the most refined uh, uh, understanding of this idea of father. He's always like, father. It's always, you know, very formal. But then Jesus comes on the scene. And in four books, the first four books of your New Testament are the Gospels. They tell the story of Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene. And some of you are like, yeah, Mark, God is his father. Duh. But he changes the whole vernacular for Jews. And he continues to call, or starts and then continues to call God, not just father, pater, from which we get the word paternal, which is the Greek word that's normally used for father. He doesn't just call him pater. He calls him, what's he call him? It's the Swedish band. What's he call him? Abba, right? He calls him Pops. Daddy, it's the the word that you would use when you were a kid of your father, whatever you called him, daddy or whatever, when you were hurt and you'd crawl up in his lap and seek uh, solace. When you were excited for him to come home and you'd bust through the door and your kids screamed, Daddy! This is the word that Jesus uses of our father, our heavenly father. And this is what our adoption in, in Christ means for us that, that we can go from just having this formal um, legal relationship with God through the work of our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross to this intimate relationship with Him, as a father has with a son. Some of you didn't have good relationships with your father. I'm sorry for that. But guess what? If you're in Christ, you can have a great relationship with your heavenly Father. And he'll bless you in that relationship. He does it <laughs> according to his, uh, the purposes of his will. But in, in, uh, if I can skip through the Romans passage for the second time, uh, let me just talk to you about what, uh, a different translation in Ephesians chapter one, verse five in the NIV. It says this, uh, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with, and that word there that says the purpose of his will, it can be translated his pleasure and his will. In love he predestined us, according to his pleasure. When God saw you and I and thought, they're going to be with me, I choose them. He did it not because, oh, i got to do this. I mean, I'm the God of the universe, no one else is going to do this. And they're so unworthy. Oh, what a pain. Who's ever gotten that phone call from one of your kids? You need me to pick you up where? Why aren't you at school? I'm supposed to be picking you up there. Well, you thought you'd go to your friend's house. Is that right? He lives in Lakeland. Awesome. So i got to get in the car and go to Lakeland. Yeah, that's, that's how some of us might picture God as he you know, uh, gets ready to redeem humanity from their sins. It's not how it was at all. God loves you and I. Not because we're worthy of love, but because he does. It's crazy about us. So crazy about us that he went past all the, all the stop signs that said, Don't do this, they're not worth it. And he redeemed us in Christ anyway. A couple weekends ago, Eleanor and I were cleaning out our garage. It's amazing what lands in your garage. Has anybody done this recently? It's amazing what lands in your garage. There's a couple times when we picked up things, it's like, Who brought this here? Who, did you bring this here? I don't even know what this is. But stuff just lands in your life, it lands in your garage. There was uh, one pile that was just easy. We just took all the things we knew we didn't want. It was garbage or whatever. We're just throwing it over there. There were some piles, though, that um, we would ask each other, how did this get here? And we would remember, oh, yeah, that's right. We were at so-and-so's house, and they were going to throw it out, but we thought that maybe someday we would be able to use it. So we weren't really excited about it, but we kind of just threw it in the back of the truck announcement in our garage for the last six years. <laughs> we had a bunch of stuff like that, and there was a little you know, discussion, but most of that went into the pile that we were getting rid of. And then finally, we came to a few things, though, like there's this one coffee table that has been hidden behind a bunch of the tools that I use in our yard. And it just kind of you know stands there next to the wall, uh, but it's been there uh, f- for the last 20 years of our lives. We, we got it about 20 years ago, uh, and it was in the house that we had in Dallas, Texas. And it was uh, a- it used to be a-, a regular size, regular height coffee t- or-, or dinner table. But we cut the legs off so it could be a coffee table because we was po po po, and and so. Uh, uh, we, we put it in our, our living room, and all of the high school kids would come over. And because it was just, you know, we picked it up basically for ten bucks at a, at a garage sale, uh, we just said, "Hey, man, let's just make this, you know, a sentimental piece." And so we gave all the high school seniors; it would be a part of a high school senior uh, Bible study at our house on Sundays. Uh, a, a sharpie, and they would all sign their names. So, so all of these, it was like signing, the, you know, your yearbook. All these years of kids coming through our house have signed this thing, and all their, their names are there. But it's been in our garage because it hasn't been needed in our house because styles have changed. Uh, you know, uh, for all of these years, and it's just sitting there. And so I say to Eleanor, hey, what about this? And she's standing there and she's like, oh man, I don't know. We had, some, we had some pretty amazing nights with that in the midst of our, of our family room, and all of our kids were born with that in our house, and who, who, who knows where this is going? <laughs> you may want to guess where the coffee table is? And still in my garage. Maybe one of the kids will need it. No. <laughs> but why, why is it there? Because here's the deal. You got them too. It's a treasure. It's not a thing. It's not wood and legs and sign- It's a treasure. And because it's treasured, it stays. When you think of your heavenly father, you think of him looking down over you And when you trusted Christ, whether it was when you were six with your dad and mom or whether you were 60 and you just found out about him and you're, you know, so grateful, whatever the case. You just picture your heavenly father looking down on you and saying, treasure. Treasure. Out of my pleasure, out of my goodwill, out of my love, I want to make you part of my family. The last part is that God chose us to celebrate his glory and grace. And he says that right there in verse 6. That's where I got it. Uh, he says, God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world uh, to be uh, holy and blameless, to be adopted as sons into his family and, and, and so that we could praise his glorious grace with which he has blessed us. There it is again, in Christ, in the beloved. God did all of this so that we could realize how awesome he is and spend our lives waking up to him and saying, woo another day with my awesome God. Now, I don't know if you woke up that way this morning. Some of you might have needed your coffee, right? Maybe after your coffee, you could get the woo-hoo out. But I'm not kidding when I say this. I believe every follower of Jesus Christ, regardless of the circumstances of their life, has the opportunity and should pop out of bed and say, Praise be to a glorious God for the riches of his grace today. Because it's true. Corey's gonna come up, we're gonna sing a song of praise. And I don't know if you think of him in that way. I think a lot of times we wake up and we're faced towards the world and our problems and our hurts and our stuff and we're like, oh, I don't wanna do this. We wake up and we say this, are you kidding me? I got to do this today, I got to deal with them today, I got to work with her today, I got to go to school today. Whatever your today is, you wake up and your shoulders droop, and you're like, oh, are you kidding me? Well, what Paul's saying is he gets started on this letter, I can almost see his, his quill, if they wrote with quills back then, I don't know if it was, but I can see whatever he's writing with getting pushed further down as he gets through this understanding that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been uh, you know, given, as, as a chosen one, the, the right to be holy and blameless, the ability to be holy and blameless. We've been given, as, as chosen ones, this opportunity to live with Abba Father in his family forever. And he gets to this last part and he's like, wow! And he's, he's waking up every morning there in his cell as he's writing this, from prison. And he's waking up he's like, wow! Are you kidding me? It's a different way of saying that phrase, isn't it? How do you wake up? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's a different life. It's a choice. Because the blessings are there. They may not be as apparent, you may not be living in the victory always fun to like look over the crowd as we're singing that song. Some of your your faces are not living in the victory. But you are. If what Paul says is true, it is. We have been blessed beyond measure. I, I, I think there's certain things in our lives that we we know are going to happen, and, and we're going to wake up to them. and They just put a smile on our face. Like I get to golf on Fridays, and some of you that'd be the worst thing you could ever do with a day off. But for me, it's something I really love to do. So when I know I'm waking up early, even if I have to wake up early, too early, and go to a golf course, I still smile because I know I get to do something I want to do. When I go on a long trip with, uh, you know, with, with our church on a mission trip to Africa or something like that, and I'm gone for two, three weeks, sometimes a month at a time, in the history of of, of, of me doing these things, uh, I, I enjoy myself. You know, as I'm there and as I'm worshiping and, and, and ministering with different people around the world. But on the day that we get back on a plane, there's a smile across my face. Not because I so much love you guys, I do, and not because I just want to get back to America, because a lot of times, you know, that's nice too. But I know in the airport, that woman is going to be waiting for me. She's my wife. (laughs) 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 Let's probably start with that, right? (laughs) And I kid you not, because now in the days that we're, you know, living, you, you can get off a plane and... And, and, and you could text her, you know, before you, I'm, I'm coming across on the tram. She says, I'm right up here waiting for you. And I'm like, you know, because I haven't seen her for so long. And the door's open, and I don't just kind of, hey, where's the car? That's not how I greet my wife. I don't know how you greet yours. I pray if you greet her that way, you stop. Because if you haven't greeted her for a while, here's how you should greet her. You should run to her, smile painted across your face that you can't take off, and you should wrap her up in your arms And open mouth kiss her in the Tampa airport. (laughs) How do we get there? (laughs) But that's, listen, listen, church, you got to get this. If you're chosen, you are blessed. And you get to wake up to every day with Jesus. And I'm not saying that that just mitigate, t- takes all your problems. you got to go through your problems, but you get to go through them with Jesus. Oh, praise and blessings be to the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why we can sing. I can't run. I can't hide. Even darkness is a light from the lowest place to the highest praise. God is worthy. Leave here celebrating him. Wake up tomorrow excited to do life with him. You are holy. You're blameless. You're a son. You're a daughter. He is worthy of your praise. Stand with me as we sing.
1: I can't run, I can't hide Even darkness is a light From the lowest place to the highest praise You are worthy Amazing love, amazing love How can it be? Far too wonderful for me only one thing left to sing you are worth Far too wonderful for me, there's only one thing left to sing, you are worthy.
0: No truer words have ever been sung. God, you are worthy of our lives, our praise, not because you've done things for us, uh, and you have, but just because of who you are. Help us to wake every day, God, to the blessedness of our chosenness. Grant us that grace, I pray this week and always. In Jesus' name, the church said, you're blessed. Go be blessed. Have a great week.